Well, happy Easter, everybody. There's really nothing religious about Easter. Easter wasn't founded for some type of religious event. In fact, Easter is all about an event that took place in human history. See, on Easter, we don't celebrate a religion. We don't celebrate a philosophy. On Easter, we celebrate an event. This is where Christianity gets kind of crazy. Because everybody's like, well, all those religions, aren't they kind of the same? No, they're drastically different. Especially Christianity's drastically different. This is where the rubber meets the road. And this is what's so different about Christianity and so kind of out there. In Christianity, we actually believe that a guy died and then he rose from the dead. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? It's definitely different than any kind of religion. In fact, I would say Easter's so much better than religion. See, religion is always birthed out of the unexplainable. Generally speaking, religions have been birthed out of what was unexplainable and yet undeniable. And when you have something that's undeniable and unexplainable, it's fertile soil for religion. Let me give you an example. You live in Florida. In the summertime, in the afternoon, what happens? It rains. What comes with that rain? Thunder or lightning, you know. And in ancient times, there was thunder and there were lightning. They didn't know where that came from. It was undeniable, but it was unexplainable. That's fertile soil for a religion. So a religion popped up. But the thing about religions, when they come up from trying to explain the unexplainable, is eventually science catches up and that religion goes away. So the people were like, what do you mean? You mean Zeus doesn't create lightning? No, it's not Zeus. It's frozen water particles getting caught in an updraft with water particles and they collide together and boom, they go off. But don't worry because in the 21st century we produce all kind of dumb movies based on Greek mythology. So it wasn't all wasted. Here's my point. Science kills religion. Science pops up, catches up, and religion goes away. But there are a lot bigger questions than thunderstorms, like what happens when you die? What's the purpose of life? And these are big, difficult questions that are fertile soil for religion. And that's what drives religion. And that's why Easter is so unreligious. See, Easter is not an attempt to explain the unexplainable. Easter happened at a time in history where Judaism had a foothold and they had all the answers. They weren't looking for answers. It was not fertile ground for a religion to pop up. It was fertile ground to get killed for starting another religion that opposed them. And Christianity was not birthed out of a need for answers. It was not birthed out of some wise man's teachings. It was birthed out of an event in human history that was well-documented in a city that exists today. Another important thing to consider as we talk about Easter and the resurrection is that no one was expecting a resurrection. It wasn't a situation where people were like expecting it. I mean, when you read the Gospels, what you don't find is the disciples all holding hands going, 10, 9, 8, He is risen! 
That's not what you find at all. In fact, when you read the Gospels, the disciples had given up because he was dead. And it was over. And when they went to the tomb and the tomb was empty, they were confused. And they were scared. And they all scattered and they ran. No one expected a resurrection and no one was really trying to start some new religion. They already had a religion that they were a part of. Well, as they scattered and they went and they were running and they were hiding, something happened that changed the people, the disciples, the people that followed Jesus. They went from running and hiding and being scattered to being bold and outspoken. And the thing that changed them was they saw Him crucified. They saw Him put in a tomb. And then a couple of days later, they saw Him alive. And that changed everything for these guys. They became bold spokespeople for Christianity. But here's the thing. Their message was not centered on the teachings of Jesus or the moral examples of Jesus, not even on the miracles of Jesus. Their message centered on one thing, the resurrection. And they just would not shut up. And the reason, you look in history, the reason that Christianity went from just a handful of people to 100,000 people in 20 years is because thousands and thousands of people claimed to have seen him after he was crucified. You know, a lot of times uh, the Pharisees get a bad rap. You know, you read the Bible, especially in Christianity. The Pharisees were the Jewish leaders of that day, the ones who rejected Jesus. Not all of them did. A lot of them knew. We talked about Arimathaeus. Uh, Charlie talked about he knew. There were people that knew. Nicodemus knew. There were people who knew this. No one could do the things he did. But a lot of the Pharisees didn't believe. And they were a part of putting Christ to death, uh, bringing him to Pilate, ensuring that this new upstart religion was killed and putting him to death. But you know what happened after they put him to death? All these Pharisees that were against Jesus started coming into the faith, coming into the faith, coming into the faith like crazy. And that's what got Christianity started. And do you know how they came to the faith? Because they were like going to the market, let's say going to the market on Sunday or whatever day it was. And Oh God, it's a good thing we got rid of that nut guy who's trying to kill our religion. Oh, we finally killed it. Yo, hey, what? That's him. And one by one by one, they saw him. And let me tell you something. You might not believe somebody who starts a religion, but if that person who's trying to start the religion dies and you know he dies, and then like the next week you see him walking around, he's got a little more credibility with you, doesn't he? And that is the thing that was different about Christianity. And that's the thing that actually happened with Christianity. You know, one of the things that gives the Bible credibility for me as you read scriptures is when you read the gospel accounts, they're not all exactly identical. In other words, it's not like they all got together and said, okay, let's get our story straight before we write this. In fact, when you read the gospel accounts of Christ's death and resurrection, there are small differences. They're not 
conflicting differences, but they're small differences. And if you've ever been in law enforcement or know law enforcement officers, they'll tell you, when you go to a scene and there's a lot of witnesses, you'll get some stories that are a little different. Because one person will see this and highlight this, another person will see something a little different, and another person will see this. And you know, that's just the way it goes. And the police officer's job is to try to put the pieces together to find out what actually happened. And when you read the gospel accounts, that's exactly the way it reads. One person mentions this one person, another person mentions this. Here's my point. It's not like they all got together. If you were going to start a religion and write a book, we were going to start a religion, we'd make sure we got our ducks in a row, right? But that's not what happened. It happened just the way you would think it would happen if people were actually giving an account and telling the truth and what they found. Maybe one day I'll do a series here on why you should trust the Bible because you can go from Genesis to Revelation and there's just reason after reason after reason. But here's a good reason that you should believe the gospel accounts of the resurrection. Let me tell you something. Who were the first people to see Jesus resurrected? Anybody? Do you know the gender of the first people that saw Jesus? Who? Women. Women. It was women. And we think, oh, no big deal. What's your point there? Here's my point. In that culture, first century Jerusalem, women were not credible witnesses. They could not testify in the court of law. I know that's wrong, women. Okay, women's rights hadn't caught up yet. But in that time, 2,000 years ago, a woman's word was nothing. It meant nothing. Someone could not be convicted. Uh, They would not hear it in the court of law. So, here's my point. If we're starting a religion, and we're making something up, would we choose women to be the first witnesses? No way, because they're not credible. The only reason that makes sense that they said that women were the first witnesses was because they were the first witnesses. Because they were actually telling the truth. And you know, if you were the hero of a religion, I don't think that you would describe yourself as scared school children that ran like Peter describes himself and like the disciples said themselves. And there's so many reasons when you look at the gospel accounts to go, you know, I don't think somebody was making up a religion. The only thing that makes sense is that it actually happened that way. And that's the way that they wrote it. Well, today I want to look at a passage written by people that were in the vicinity of what happened with his death and resurrection a few weeks after the resurrection in Jerusalem. And we pick up in Acts chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 15 to start out with. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. These aren't guys starting a new religion. These are guys who are Jewish men, okay? They're doing what they always did, what they grew up to do. They're going to the temple because they're Jewish men. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple, which was the way it worked. The the poor, the people who were unable to work, they would set themselves up on the entrance to the temple because the people who were going in would often give them alms, would give them money so that they could survive. When he saw Peter and John about to go in the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, 
look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give it to you. And then he does this amazing thing. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking notice of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called Portico of Solomon, a real place, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? Then he goes back. He says, hey, this is the same religion we've had for all these years. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Check this out. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate. Now that's a way to start a new religion, right? You go into a religious place and then you begin accusing people of killing an innocent man. He goes, when he had decided to release him, verse 14, but you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And here's the point I want to make here. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom, check this out, God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are what? Witnesses. Witnesses. Here's their message. We don't simply believe something. We saw something. We're not simply believers in something some guy taught. We saw an event. We're believers, not because of his moral example, although it was amazing. We're believers because we watched him die, we visited his tomb, and then we saw him alive. And this, what we're reading today, all happened within walking distance of the crucifixion and burial, within weeks of the event. And these are the same guys that cowered in fear after the crucifixion. And suddenly, they're courageous and risking their lives. See, they're not trying to explain the unexplainable. They're not trying to start a new religion. They're clearly tying this to Judaism. But something happened that changed everything. And the story continues later that day in Acts chapter 4. Verse 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees, these are the religious leaders in Judaism, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, which was something that they didn't teach, something the Sadducees didn't even believe in at all. And these guys just wouldn't shut up about the resurrection. I mean, I imagine somebody's like, hey, what about that prayer that guy said? What, can you teach us about that? What about peace? Um, how about a parable? No. See, the point of their message was simple and clear. 
They just kept saying, we are witnesses of his resurrection. Verse 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day. For it was already evening. Verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed. Watch this. And the number of the men, those who believed, came to be about 5,000. 5,000 in a day. Do you know why Christianity exploded in the first century? It's not because Jesus taught life-changing truths, although he did, but other people did that. It's because he rose from the dead. It's because in Jerusalem, within walking distance from this event, thousands of people who were responsible for having Jesus put to death placed their faith in him. Now that explains something that is unexplainable, but it has nothing to do with religion and everything to do with history. And this is just one of many accounts. Let's read on, verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there. And Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. Verse 7. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power or in what name have you done this? When they say, what power or what name have you done this, they're talking about the healing of the man. They don't want to talk about the resurrection. They want to know how a man who had been crippled was now jumping. They want to know how these ordinary, simple, uneducated men pulled this off. We continue, verse 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, If we are on trial today for the benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, here it is again, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. I love that. I mean, I love how Peter, the guy who ran away when a little schoolgirl said, hey, you were one of them. No, I never knew him. I love how he stands up in the temple and he just tells them what time it is. I mean, at risk of their lives, at risk of their reputation, their liberty, they just wouldn't shut up about the resurrection. Verse 11. He says, he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders. You're the guys who are building this spiritual thing up for God. But which became the chief cornerstone. He's like, hey, this is the measuring stick, guys. He is the square when you're building. The level. He is what you gauge every other religion on. Why? Why are Christians so narrow? Did you know Christians are narrow? Raise your hand if you know Christians are narrow. People are like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Christians are narrow. Christians are narrow. When people say, oh, you're narrow, I'm like, yep, <laughs> I'm narrow. I'm narrow. And there's a reason. If you ask Peter, you go, Peter, why are you so narrow? You know what he would say to you and I? Verse 12, check it out. 
and no one else. There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. See, that shows that we're just narrow because it's just Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's only Jesus, no other name, we're narrow. If Peter were here with me and I go, Peter, Peter, why are you so narrow? You know what I think he would say? Because no one else has ever risen from the grave. See, if you could give me a list of all these prophets or guys who started religions, and you could give me their list, and they predicted their death, and then they were actually literally killed, and the Romans were pretty good at crucifixion. They knew what they were doing. And then 40 days after that, you saw him walking around, and hundreds of people saw him. If you could show me a guy, and I'm dead serious. I'm not trying to just do some fancy sermon. If you could show me people, they died, and then they rose from the dead... I'll listen. I'll throw them in the hat with Jesus. I will. I will. But here's the problem. Nobody's ever done it. Nobody's ever claimed to do it. And certainly, no one in human history has so many witnesses that said, He did it. We saw Him. You know an interesting thing about the disciples? They all ran and were scattered. and They were scared. Hey, who can blame them? Crucifixion was awful. Who wants to be crucified? I mean, they had families. But the interesting thing about the disciples after the resurrection, something definitely changed. Do you know that they could have lied, but instead they died? They could have lied. They could have said, you know what? Because they tried to talk them into, we stole the body. It really didn't happen. We're just trying to start a new religion. And what we have, what we did is we went in in the middle of the night. I don't know how we got the whole Roman guard to pass out, but it was a whole group of men guarding it. But somehow we put them to sleep and uh, we stole the body. And they could have lived their natural lives out. And you know what? They would have been compensated for it and probably had a more prestigious position in their life. Because the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the people in power would have loved that and they definitely would have helped it. But they didn't do that. They didn't. Instead, they chose to die. You look at human history, every one of the disciples was put to death for their faith. Some people say, well, not John. Well, they tried to kill him and then when he wouldn't die, they put him on some island. But all of them, all of them were killed for their faith. Let me ask you a question. Would you die for a hoax? Now, man, I pull a lot of stuff at my house, man. I pull jokes, man. I get elaborate with it. I get my kids involved. My wife hates. My wife's shaking her head over there. Oh, no, what's going to happen this afternoon? There's always some joke going on because we got to laugh, you know. And, man, I pull these tricks off and people show up from out of town. Nobody knows. We just do all kind of crazy things. And, man, I'll do a lot for a hoax, for a laugh because laughing's good. You know what I won't do for a hoax? Yeah, I'm not going to die for one. <laughs> and yet people say, well, you know, they just did this. You know, Josephus, the historian, who was not a believer, he was of Jewish descent, but he wasn't really a believer in Judaism. He certainly wasn't a believer in Christianity. You know what he wrote about the disciples and the resurrection? He says, whether or not he was resurrected, I do not know. He goes, what I do know is that his followers believed he was resurrected because I watched them one by one be put to death for what they believed in. Why should you believe something like that? Hey, because people, the men, were willing to die and they died. They could have lied, but instead they died. 
And the reason I'm narrow and the reason it's Jesus is because you show me another person who's done that, we'll have a conversation. But you know what? There's no one else. Therefore, there's no other name other than Jesus, which we can have confidence in our relationship in God because no one else has risen from the dead. And I think that's why the disciples just couldn't shut up about this resurrection thing. And that's why those who were cowering in fear now have become bold and found the courage to proclaim the resurrection in the epicenter of Judaism. Verse 4, 13. And this is huge. Now as they, these are the religious leaders, observed the confidence. They were scared little schoolgirls running, but now they're confident. Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. When someone has truly been with Jesus, you can always tell. And that's why the resurrection is such a big deal. Easter is not about a religion. It's about an event that changed human history. And you know what's so cool about that? The same invitation that Peter and John gave 2,000 years ago has been offered up all over the world this weekend. It's been offered up for 2,000 years. And just like the disciples were changed and those 5,000 men were changed, you too can be changed. Not only by the teachings of Jesus, although they were amazing and can have incredible impact on your life, but by this event. The resurrection of Jesus. You know, anybody can claim anything and associate it with their death. But when they rise from the dead, only then are their claims confirmed. And as exclusive and narrow as it is, we believe that there is no other name by which a person can be saved. I want to lead you in a prayer. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus is your Son. I believe that when he died, he died for the sins of the world, my sin in particular. I receive him as my Savior. I transfer all my trust to him, all my confidence to him. I'm no longer trusting in my good works. I'm no longer trusting my church attendance, my giving. I'm trusting in Jesus alone. Forgive me of my sin. Receive me into your family. Thank you for your assurance of your love for me. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.